Hi, I'm Sherry Todd, a former DJ, now a podcaster. Every week, I hope to take you on an adventure that informs, inspires, and starts conversations. I want to get honest, and I want to get to the heart of life and love. There's going to be good days, bad days, good shows, bad shows, and just like life, we have to figure it out. And I want to figure it out loud. Welcome to Sherry. Hi, welcome to another episode of Sherapy. I'm Sherry Todd. And uh, yeah, it's been about oh, probably about a week, week and a half since um, I last had a podcast. A lot was going on. Uh, my niece was graduating. So um, there was, you know, if you have a child that's graduated, you know, a lot of goes into it. And I was helping my sister out. I also did a video for her. So it, it was kind of a busy time. So I kind of like took the week off and, and, uh, and it takes a little bit of time to write sometimes. And, uh, and so this week, the podcast, I thought we should talk about believing the survivor. So first, let's begin by making sure we're all on the same page when it comes to sexual harassment and assault. Now, sexual harassment and behaviors that fall under this category include inappropriate touching, invasion of privacy, sexual jokes, lewd or obscene comments or gestures, exposing body parts, showing graphic images, unwelcome sexual emails, text messages, or phone calls, sexual bribery, repeated requests for sex, sexual favoritism, being offered a benefit for sexual favor, being denied a promotion or pay raise because you didn't cooperate. And sexual assault is being forced to perform oral sex on a man or woman, a man or woman forcing themselves on someone either orally, vaginally, or anally, being drugged and rendered unconscious, or incapable of defending oneself. And sexual abuse is unwanted sexual activity with perpetrators using force, making threats, or taking advantage of victims not able to give consent. Most victims and perpetrators know each other. Sexual abuse and sexual assault is kind of fine line of, uh, they're both kind of the same there. Around this time in 2018, Christine Ford publicly alleged that U.S. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her when she was a teenager in the summer of 82. She later testified about her allegations during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing regarding Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination. Not only was she not believed by most of the Republican senators and half of America, but she was mocked and made fun of by the President of the United States. Why are women not believed when it comes to sexual assault, harassment, or abuse? Could it be because some wounds are not as visible as a gunshot wound, so people really can't understand the damage that can be done by being sexually assaulted or abused? Assault victims make terrible witnesses. After an assault, the victim usually suffers from PTSD. So instead of a victim that's crying and begging for help, we see a victim that has dissociated herself from the trauma and is very calm and flat with emotions. Most victims can't remember exactly what happened. Why? While the brain is facing a traumatic situation, much of it shuts down to focus on staying alive. So the part that controls short and long-term memory shuts off. So basically, the brain is focusing on staying alive, and it doesn't have time to pay attention to details. I remember kindergarten, first grade, and part of second grade, but I have absolutely no memories of third, fourth, or fifth grade. I remember sixth grade, and that's because Jack had stopped abusing me the summer before. 
I've heard so many times, and it was the first thing my mom even said, why didn't you say something? Why is it so hard to understand how humiliating sexual abuse is? We have been violated in the worst way. We feel ashamed. We try to make ourselves feel invisible. We feel unlovable. Some isolate themselves because of shame. Some have self-esteem so low that they may think it wasn't a big deal. Some fear repercussions like losing their job or family. Some just want it to go away. We feel different, and somehow we think it was our fault because we didn't say no or weren't able to stop it. That's why some don't tell. Some feel they won't be believed because they shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. By telling someone to watch their drink, don't drink too much, don't walk alone at night, or don't dress sexy, may seem like good advice, but understand this. Sexual assault is not preventable. And even if the victim followed those advice, she could still be sexually assaulted. No one is to blame for sexual assault except the abuser. And if people still choose to call victims liars and blame them for their own assault, then you're as guilty of inflicting as much pain on the survivor as the abuser did. You know, this is what shocks and saddens me the most. Women who don't believe other women. Of all the men in the last few years that have been accused or convicted of sexual assault, I don't remember any men speaking up against them. It's a boys' club, and they kept their mouths shut, even lied. Thanks to the Me Too movement, women started to come forward, even a few men, but some women still criticize the movement. Even if it never happened to you as a woman, we all know somebody that had to deal with unwanted advances or worse. It's not okay. I believe most women do not lie about sexual abuse. Of course, history has proven that there have been a few that did lie. But if you take the percentage of truth versus lying, it would be a very low percent that lie. In fact, the FBI puts it at 8%. Figures from the U.S. Bureau of Justice Statistics suggest only 35% of all sexual assaults are even reported to police. Indeed, the truth far outweighs the number of fake accusations, period. Unfortunately, It's the lies that get the most attention. I try to understand why it's so hard for some people to believe someone when they come forward with sexual assault or abuse accusations. I only have my own story to go on. When I told my mom, she said she believed me, but her actions confused me. She still associated with Jack. In fact, a few years later, we moved into Jack's house with James and Jennifer, though Jack wasn't living there at the time. This didn't feel like the actions of a mother who believed her daughter was sexually abused. My mom went to work for Jack at a chicken restaurant he co-owned with his girlfriend. His girlfriend had two kids, a boy around 10 and a girl 12. I was 14 at the time and I was put to work in the restaurant as were all of us kids. It was great to be with James and Jennifer again, but I was not happy about seeing Jack. Being around Jack was hard, especially when I would see over and over him physically and mentally abuse James. There was nothing I could do. So I did whatever I could to keep James out of Jack's way. We spent a lot of time at the movies and making home videos. And we had become good friends with Jack's girlfriend's kids, mostly with her daughter, Debbie. She was fun and kind, and I think James had a little crush on her. Jack would give her easy jobs at the restaurant, like taking orders, while the rest of us had to wash dishes, mop floors, and prepare chicken. I started to suspect something when Debbie started avoiding Jack. She became quiet and withdrawn. 
actions that were all too familiar. One night, James and Jennifer wanted to have a sleepover at their house. By this time, Jack had moved back into the house, and me, my mom, and sisters had moved out into an apartment. Now, why would I want to do a sleepover in the same house Jack was in? Well, three reasons. One, to protect my sisters. Two, if he tried anything, I was crazy enough to make him pay. And three, I wasn't going to let Jack stop me from having fun. But now we were trying to convince Debbie to spend the night, and this was unusual because she loved sleepovers. I'll never forget how she sat on the floor in the restaurant dining room crying. And I knew. I asked her if Jack was doing anything to her, and she just looked at me. I said, you can tell me because he did the same to me. Other than my mom, that was the first time I had told someone about my abuse. Debbie was nervous and didn't say anything. So I told her if he was, she needed to tell her mom. And I also told her it wasn't true that her mom would be mad and she would be taken away. I told her James and I would protect her and that seemed to convince her. So we all went to Jack's for a sleepover. But it just wasn't the same. And it would be the last time. Soon after, Debbie told her mom, I don't know what she said to her, but I do remember Jack calling Debbie and I liars. And a few weeks later, Debbie's mom had packed up and they all moved away. That day was very hard for me. I remember crying when they drove away. I don't know why I was so emotional. I think I was sad because they were getting away from Jack and I somehow knew he would still be a part of my life, like it or not. And I think I was mostly sad because another adult knew and was not only leaving, but once again, Jack was getting away with sexually abusing a minor. And unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last time either. When it comes to child abuse, one in three will not be believed, even though 98% are proven true. And one in six will not report the abuser. How many other children could have been protected if someone reported it? Over the coming weeks, I'm going to talk to some of the survivors of Jack's abuse. You heard my story, but you need to hear the whole story. Even Jack's. I want people to hear what happens when people keep quiet and how much destruction and pain can come from silence. How one man can damage so many lives. As survivors, we need to find our voice, speak our truth, and bring this out of the shadows where it's been hiding for too long. Destroy the stigma of shame and force society to realize this is nothing short of an epidemic. Supporters can stand up for survivors and let them hear your voice. And if we can get enough voices to shout out loud, maybe we can create a future where sexual violence is no longer normalized and excused by society and the media, where survivors can bravely come forward and be believed and each abuser is exposed and punished for good. I feel like there should be some applause here. So on a side note, this Sunday is Father's Day. I was very, very fortunate enough to have a great father. My dad was in the Navy when he met my mom. They divorced when I was three or four. My dad was in the music business. He was a producer and a writer. He also, for those in California who remember the 80s, was one of the writers for Federated Group, those crazy Fred-rated commercials. He was also a movie extra, and every now and then, I'd see him standing in the background of an old TV sitcom or movie. I have great memories of me and my sister visiting him and my stepmom, and we would always play games and laugh a lot. A favorite game was pie in the face, and my dad was always able to pull his head back just in time. 
he would never get shaving cream on his face, except a little on his beard. He would help me and my sister do funny skits and record them with my Super 8 camera. My dad and I would always just sit around brainstorming million-dollar ideas that never came about. And my sister and I would always come over to his house when my grandmother was visiting. He would always tease my grandma. Grandma was so good-natured, and she would just laugh and say, Oh, Bob. One time my dad wrote a rap song and took my grandma to the recording studio and recorded her rapping it. He, he also made a video of it. It was hysterical to listen to a 70-year-old woman rap with my dad and his friend doing background voices. My grandma was always such a good sport. And because my dad was in the music business, he always gave me tons of record albums. And one of the many albums he sent me was Billy Joe's Piano Man. I loved that album and became a lifelong fan. He gave me tickets to my first concert, The Beatles, and he gave me every Monkees and Partridge Family album. My love of music and creativity came from him. He would even let me and my friends record in his studio for free. I was lucky to have a great dad, and because of him, I knew what a real dad was. He passed away in 1998, and I still miss him a lot. So, if you're lucky enough to know an awesome dad, don't forget to show and tell them how much they mean to you this Father's Day. Now, when I was around 11, I wanted to become a songwriter like my dad. So, I asked my dad about songwriting, and I told him how hard it was for me to rhyme all the time. He told me lyrics sometimes didn't need to rhyme if it was a good story. And he said for me to send him my lyrics, and he would pay me a dollar for the ones he used. So, that inspired me to write a song about an old man who lived alone and how the neighborhood kids would always make fun of him, and he would try to talk to them and share his wisdom, but they just would laugh and throw rocks at him. So the end of the story had him putting a for sale sign up and moving away. I called it Old Man. My dad bought it for a dollar, and it inspired him to write the song Drifting Prophet by the Mystic Moods, and I believe it got all the way up to number 38 on the top 40 charts. So in honor of my dad, I like to play it. But first, thank you for listening to another episode of Sherapy. And if you're moved by this episode in some way, please share it or leave a comment, a rating, or leave a voice message. I really love to hear your thoughts or stories. You can find a link in the episode description or in the bios of my Sherapy with Sherry Todd Facebook or Instagram pages. I really appreciate your support. And until next time, always remember to embrace your voice. See you, bye. Every new generation has a new set of questions and new doubts. And each child needs answers. For these are the foundation of all its tomorrows. Every child, everywhere, needs a voice to guide him. And this song hopes a drifting prophet will walk his way.
with Sherry Todd in your iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or other favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.